Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 229. Ah, so finally, another me and you only episode. We could talk about projects. Actually accomplishing things. Yes, but we've had like, what, three, four guests in a row? Uh, yeah, I think three. And and I think next week is a guest also. Yes, next week is a guest as well. So on our last Stephen and I only podcast, um, I promised that brewery would actually boil water, and it did. Woo! Last night. <laughs> Just last minute, like very last, last minute. minute. Like seriously, like after work, I'm like, wait, I have to boil water with this thing. And I had everything done. I finished everything on Saturday night uh, this past weekend. And I just never got around to actually filling it up with water. So I got filled up with water, fired it off, um, did a test brew day in like an hour, basically, instead of like it would take like three hours normally. Well, just like simulating the valves and... Yeah, like moving the valves and, and just testing everything. Like, does this process that I came up in my brain actually work? Um so yeah, it test it test boiled, and I did it with the garage door closed, so it made a quite a good sauna. Um, <laughs> it steamed up the whole garage, but it worked great. Um, now, this is where you know thinking about all these things is great and all, but you have to actually do it and practice it, so it, you can actually find the issues, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. The, no, the issues show up after you've built the entire thing, right? Yes, exactly. And there's no going back because everything is thread locked together. <laughs> so so what what issues have you run into for? Okay, so the, the main issue is um, the main issue is after you're all done brewing and you clean it everything cuz cuz it's the whole point of the system is so you put cleaner in your first vessel and then you just cycle it through your brew cycle basically the main issue is when you're all done you rinse everything with water but what you have what's left over is you have standing water in your vessels at the bottom you have like an inch of water or half an inch of water depending on how high the the outlet is basically on on the kettles um and i actually when I finished up last night, I think it was like 10 o'clock last night, I was like, crap, how do I get this water out? And I texted you, you know, you and Roz um, about it. And Roz actually had a really good idea is just use the shop vac to suck the water just out. And I'm like, that's oh, brilliant. <laughs> and so that it's, solved. It's, it's, but it's not the most elegant solution. No, it's not the most elegant because um, the great thing is I, the, my shop vac has a separate unit that's a water separator. And so you don't have to like convert your your wet vac over. Like a lot of times you, you either have it set up for dry or you have it set up for wet. You can't do both at the same time because it ruins the filters and all that stuff. Um, so I have a separate, basically it's a bucket that a tube goes in and a tube comes out and it separates the water out. So that's great. That's easy to do. But yes, it's not an elegant solution. But at least it's a solution for this, and it's going to work fine for... It's actually an easy thing. I tested it last night. Very easy to do. Not not a big deal. Um, and the second issue I have with it is remembering where to turn the valves. Because <laughs> if you turn it the wrong way, then 
you're sending you're sending hot liquid where wherever, right? Yeah, wherever where where it shouldn't go. Now there's not there's only a couple different paths, but yeah, when you need to transfer fluid, the great thing is you can just turn a valve and it shuts the flow down to zero, and then you can adjust the valves and then check your valve work because usually you have to adjust two valves to change the flow direction. And probably you would want to do those in a sequence, right? Well, no, you just turn the flow off, and then you can turn them wherever way, and then you turn oh, the flow right, back because, on. Because each pot has has a cutoff valve right at the pot. Yeah, right. each pot, well, each pump does. So each pump has its own cutoff valve, so you cut the pump off. Wait, do you not have valves right on the pots? Uh, going into the pots, yeah. But not coming out of the pot? Not coming out of the pots. That's interesting, though. So, like, on your boil kettle, some of the liquid's not boiling because it's because uh, i mean if if you don't have a cutoff valve right at the the boil pot then some of the liquid is in the tubing right yeah it's in the tubing it's actually cycling though oh that's right i forgot because yeah you, you, you're right parker does something very interesting that well, i'm trying something interesting How well yeah I, neither one of us have really seen this before but but it's it's pumping the wart while doing the boil on a on a uh uh, in the boil kettle, because typically yeah. you just—I mean, fundamentally you just put all the the liquid and sugar in, in a pot and boil it, and that's that's it. Yep, yep, uh, yep, but yep. and 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 both Parker and I do it vigorously enough that it doesn't—you doesn't need to be recirculated. No. But no, but I'm gonna try it, see what happens. Yeah, um, I'm expecting to get better hop utilization, even though it doesn't really matter for home brewers. You just—if you notice that you don't have enough hop utilization, you just put more hops in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it doesn't end up costing you that much more money. Not like a uh, industrial brewer, where like, oh yeah, adding, you know, a hundred more pounds of hops actually is more expensive in the end. We're we're spending six dollars extra. <laughs> um, so yeah, the knowing where to turn the valves is kind of a. It's not really an issue. It's just one of those. I I have to write a process down of like turn this valve, do this, do that. And then, because I'm, I have uh, um, three temperature probes and two PID loops, basically you have one PID controller that controls, that has two inputs, basically, and you select which input you want. You either want your, your Herms coil or your hot liquor tank temperature, or you want your wart temperature. And then the other one is just in the boil, right? The boil temperature. Um, and the problem with that is you have to change the PID set point on the, from the hot liquor, because you don't have to set it to your strike temp, right? So you set it to your strike temp, which is, let's say, 170 degrees Fahrenheit. You set it to the strike temp, it gets 170, and then you pump that fluid into your, your wart, or your, not your wart, your... Um, grain. Your mash tun. Right. Yeah, in your grain. And then you have to set it to your, you have to set that controller to your mash temperature because you want to uh cycle the cycle the uh, wart into the herms coil and which is in the hot liquor tank and do that and then you have to add water back in because you got to cool the water that's in there because it's at 107 degrees and your your mash temp is 150 so you got to cool it down 20 degrees by adding some cold water to it that's not that hard to do well uh, l l let me just I put a caveat in there because the first time i used my recirculation 
system. I did it exactly that way. And and the whole idea of the strike temperature is to get it such that once the hot liquid meets the cooler grains, they stabilize at whatever your target temperature is. Yes. In your case, you were saying 150. Uh, so what I've found in just brewing with this my system a handful of times, I just set it for whatever the target temperature is. And uh, so I don't do the strike temperature. I don't do 170. I'll set it for 150, and it only takes like one or two minutes for the, all the grains to come up to whatever that target temperature is. So hmm. uh, then I don't have to cool down the liquid in my hot liquor tank. It's just, it's just there, you know. Okay, so yeah, you're saying is just set the, uh, just set it to your target temp, and don't even worry about strike temp. Yeah, just just set it straight for. Uh, yeah, whatever your mash temp is, and uh, the recirculation does such a good job of uh, m- maintaining the temperature with the recirc that it- it'll come up. Any any temperature uh, difference that it drops will just get corrected really fast. So you can change that twenty degree differential probably really quick. Uh, well, but that's just a thing. Like, there's not even really a twenty degree differential. Oh, it's less than that. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it, and and. You, so if if your mash temp is 150, uh, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could, oh, let's say your mash temp was 150, you could start at like 155 uh, and like set that differential a lot closer and, mm-hmm. and it'll even out even faster. So yeah, it's just about learning your, your rig, so to speak. Yeah, that's and right. How it, how it handles temperature fluctuations and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'll get that shot. I'll try the strike temp. Um, not strike temp, the, uh, just mash temp and try that out for my first brew. Try, try that out. And if you have a, if you have like a, a thermal pen or something like that, just like monitor or you, you are able to monitor the exact temperature of your mash, right? It's the temperature of the mash coming into the ton. Okay. Uh, see if you can somehow measure the temperature coming out of the ton. Uh, that, that might give you. Well, actually, if you know the differential between the in and out, then you can know what the basically what the ton is consuming in terms of you know its <laughs> thermal performance. Yeah, thermal performance. I guess so, but um, I don't think it really matters though. No, m- m- most of all of this doesn't re- like we're splitting some really serious hairs here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's the current problems I foresee with the brewery system, but all these have ways to fix them um but i am not going to fix them right now my because it's functional it is functional and i don't even know i haven't made beer with it yet right right and so my goal is to spend i'm going to say a year or at least a whole like fall it'll probably actually be a year i probably won't touch it uh uh and change anything on until next summer and just brew beer figure out this process out and see what improvements I can make on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, f- the future I think of this system is one motorized valves to simplify the fluid transfer process. And this is not for automation in terms yeah. of like, like you press a button and it does everything right. Like you hit go. This is for, I need to transfer fluid from one vessel to another vessel. I turn this knob and then hit the button on it. And it will transfer fluid until I tell it to not transfer fluid. Because I'm not, I don't want this to be automation. I don't want to be like, I want to put 5.862 gallons from 
the hot liquor tank into the mash. I don't want that. I, I don't think at, at this size of a homebrew system, I don't think that matters so much than your actual, like, you know, your process and your recipe. I think those are more important at this this size uh, than making sure you're hitting the correct, you know, exact number of, of, of uh, fluid volume. Um, I know you were going the opposite way for a little bit with, like, your flow controllers and stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't think that... I think being, you know, an eighth of a gallon off on your mash out of, you know, 10 gallons is not a big deal. Maybe. <laughs> I say that. No, honestly, the funny thing is, like, I think volume... I, I'm, I, I'm a lot more strict about measuring volumes. I'm a little less strict about temperatures. I think temperature has the bigger bigger impact. Well, the, the biggest reason why I, I like monitoring and measuring my volumes really accurately is I really, really hate spending an entire day on a new recipe and like doing the whole thing and then coming out with like four gallons as opposed to five. Uh, and that's and, a big like, difference, though. But like it is it is. But like, I mean, I'm being a little bit. Yeah, you know, extreme here. But I've had that happen one or two times where I'm just like, ah, man, like if I just measured my volumes a little bit more accurately. And one of the things I, I found, you know, I, maybe this isn't like super accurate the way I did this, but if you buy a gallon of water from the grocery store, it's not a gallon of water. Uh, I actually found in general it's more than a gallon most of the time. So if yeah. you're counting, you know, if it's if your recipe says put seven gallons into your mash tun and you put seven of those things in it, I guarantee you you're going to be way over on your volumes. And if you're way over on your volumes, then that means that your concentrations are going to be lower and you're going to get a less strong beer than you shot for. And you just how I fix that is you just boil more at the end. <laughs> just boil it until you're happy, right? Yeah, I mean, you've had my beer. It's very good. Oh, of course, of course. Honestly, the the, the biggest thing, and I, I discussed this with my wife, actually, uh, right after we first got married. One of our goals was eventually in our home to have, like, some beers on rotation such that, like, when friends come over, they always know that, like, this one will be there kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. the biggest point was I want my rig to be repeatable. Uh, and so that's where I'm really kind of anal about it. And I don't want to have to like change things on the fly to make it repeatable. I I could see that. Um, I think you can get to a point with the, with your brewery rig and not have to be so critical about the volumes where it will taste the same at the end. Even if you're an eighth of a gallon off. I mean, it's it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like the the someone who's you know making biscuits and they've done it so many times that they don't have to measure anything. They can just like feel the dough and know that it's you know wet or dry <laughs> enough. No, seriously, I mean, it is. It's kind of like but, that. But I mean, I still measure the water, but I'm like, you know, but you measure in in one gallon. <laughs> units. Yeah. Well, no, I'll I'll do like I'll do one gallon increments in terms of pouring it in, and then. Um, I actually, when I have an increment at the end, is um, well, on my old rig, because I, I was using all the water at each time, is I would just weigh, like if I needed half a gallon, I would weigh that in, wa- and I'd weigh that in water. Yeah. But yeah. this new system, though, I have a hot liquor tank that I have to pull from. Mm. And I have to transfer liquid out of that into other vessels, which a flow control would 
be useful for, but I think just using a sight gauge on your hot liquor tank and say you started at 14 gallons yeah. and you need to pull four and a half, yeah. run that pump until it hits, you know, uh, nine and a half gallons on the sight gauge and then close right. the valve off. Right. That's going right. to be good enough for this system. For like, sure, yeah. And, and what I was getting at with the temperature is, especially on your mash, a six your 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 window of mash temperature is like six degrees. Right. Out of the entire spectrum that temperatures could be, which is from from absolute zero to theoretically infinite, right? No, no, no. The 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 uh, the temperature of the entire universe. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there is a top end, right? Right. Right. There's only six degrees fair on the Fahrenheit scale of that that is useful for mash ton <laughs> <laughs> well and 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 there's different flavor profiles in between that six yes too so it's not like you're just trying to hit that window you're trying to hit something inside that window yeah yeah you're trying to hit that yeah inside that window so you're like being at 148 versus 150 54 yeah like with the same recipe you're going to make like it's actually amazingly how different those beers will be in the end um, one's going to be super malty. One's going to be super dry mouthfeel. And that is where in home brewing, in my opinion, that's where you should put all your effort into is making sure when you hit your mash ton temperature window, yeah. uh, whatever degree it is, that's the most important thing, I think. Well, I, and, 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 you know, earlier I was mentioning, you know, I said, I don't care about temperature as much as I do volume. I think I think a caveat to that is both are important, but temperature relies a lot or is connected a lot with time. So like in in your mash tun, if you're off by two or three or even four degrees uh, on your mash tun, but you get to your target within two or three minutes, it's not a big deal, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if but if you're at the wrong temperature for twenty minutes, then yeah, you you got a problem. Yep, yep. I totally agree. Um. So yeah, the, the features motorize the valves, make it simple to transfer the fluids. And then the second thing is having the output of all the vessels, instead of being on the bottom of the side, put them in the bo actual bottom in the middle. Mm. I don't know how to do that because with these pots, um, they're tri-clad bottom and they're like, they're seriously like almost a half inch thick bottom. Yeah, they're, they're now I don't need that for electric because the elements in there. This is for like if you had a flame in the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, so I would probably have to get new vessels, which is fine. They're not that expensive, but I have to figure out some way to do that. And it's like, well, if I'm doing that, do I do I put a cone, uh, like a slight cone at the bottom, so I actually do drain all of it? Don't know. That's in the future. So um, I just don't know the answer to this. I'm I'm assuming. You can't drill through a triclad bottom. You can because I tried. <laughs> I ruined a pot. Really? Well, I tried to. I I thought it would be only like maybe a quarter inch thick, mm -hmm. and I could try to sweat a connector onto it. You can. It it, it just sucks. So it does what it's designed to do: wick heat away, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and spread the heat out, so you cannot. At least with a propane torch, cannot sweat silver solder, sweat the uh, fittings on. Um, I you could probably thread it. Well, okay, so that's what I was thinking. Okay. It's thick enough the the thread. So yeah, here's the thing: drill 
a hole, like a one-inch hole, right in the center of the bottom of your pot, and then do straight pipe thread on that, and then thread a uh, a, 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 a you know thread a valve on that with a jam nut, you know, and then could that work? Uh, and, I would just do NPT so it's tapered. Well, they, they'll, but the problem with NPT is where does it bottom out? You wouldn't want it to bottom out with some of the pipe inside the kettle because then if it does that then you just, just grind, grind it, it off yeah just grind it off <laughs> see I, I mean that's not a terrible idea I, I was thinking about doing something similar with with my rig um so so my mash tun does have a conical bottom and it has a spout right out the the, the middle i purchased it with that yeah i wish i got that one it it it, it drains 100 percent and it's amazing but i really wish my HLT and my boil kettle did the same thing such that I could just take a hose to them and spray out all the guck. And that's my cleaning, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's definitely something in the future I want to change. And then it's a better way to set uh, the set points in the PID controller when you get the swap. Now that might not be a big issue now since I can just set it to um, uh, the mash temp. At the, from the get-go now i you do have to raise it for when you mash out because i do mash uh I, I do um batch uh uh what's it called ba uh, batch sparging. sparging yeah batch sparging um so it's not a big deal you only have to change it once still not a big deal but eh, we'll see you know and 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 uh, just what we were saying just a moment ago the uh, temperature and time being connected thing uh, now that you have an electric brewery system and your PID controller, you can just say you're mashing at 150 and you need to mash out at 170. You just make that differential uh, when it comes time to mash out and it will go from 150 to 170 pretty damn fast. Yeah, I'm going to have to play around with that because, um, yeah. So one of the things that's kind of important I found was uh, to make sure that your on your PID controllers, you run their auto-tune function. I didn't do that. I was running into some issues with that. Like, it wouldn't... It would ramp up really quickly to, like, 10 degrees away and then, yeah. like, not quite get there. Like it Yeah, was, it takes, like, baby steps. Yeah, I was <laughs> trying to way, baby yeah. step up, and it just wasn't working. So, yes, I, I, I need to auto-tune it. Might try that tonight. Um, just a... Uh, run it some more so so i was reading about it just the other day actually so i i did an auto tune on mine with just water and it worked great it was fantastic um but uh some people were saying do an auto tune with water and then re-auto tune it when uh with, when you're on your first brew day and have it auto tune with uh you know uh, something that's more than just water you know hmm. and then and then you get an auto tune in the actual setting you know now since I have one PID controller that's doing two jobs, is that going to affect it? Because one is um, you're just heating the hot liquor tank up, and then one is actually running a Herms coil. It's still in the hot liquor tank, right? But it's running a Herms coil that's trying to uh, it's trying to indirectly heat up a pot, the, the mash tun. Should I do that system, or should I do the other system as the auto-learn? So, so the, okay, the first one is just getting the water to whatever temperature in the HLT, right? That's its yeah. whole goal. Uh, but yeah, the, other one, the other one is still controlling the exact same element. It's just reading a different temperature, right? Yes. So that's and, and, the system, and the system's different. 
is instead of it, because on the uh, in the hot liquor tank, the water comes out through a pump back into the hot liquor tank, and that output back in the hot liquor tank is the is the feedback, the temperature reading. Right now, on the other one, the reading is out of the output of the Herms coil that goes into the mash tun. So you have this different system, uh, thermal system, which I, I'm thinking set that as the system that mm. it auto-learns because heating up the, the water with a big coil, it, do, it does that no matter what. Like, you can just set it to, like, 100% and it's going to do it, right? Right, yeah. Well, so whichever one, I, I, the, the, the Herms coil, that's the more critical one. Yeah. The, uh, the other one is the very first thing you do on brew day is just get the water hot, right? Yes. That's the very first thing. And it like there's nothing critical about it. It just needs to get hot. And I bet you the same auto-tune profile will basically do the same thing. Basically, because it's the same element. The only thing you want to watch out for in that case is because you're, you're measuring an indirect temperature, you don't want it to, gosh, I don't, I don't remember which one of the, the P, the I, or the D, what matters more in this case, but you don't want it to just freak out and like try really, really hard to get the temperature if it's not going fast enough. I guess that would be D, right? You don't want that. You don't want it to make extremely rapid changes. Would go really, really fast, and uh, and because it's going to be slower. The the yeah, it's going, going through slower. the coil is a lot slower than just monitoring the actual temperature of the water. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set it up. Where I have, I'm just going to heat up the hot liquor tank, transfer the fluid to, uh, this af- uh, after the podcast, transfer fluid into the uh, mash tun, and then auto tune that. Yeah, and then make sure it saves that 150 for whatever, and then uh, then I got to auto tune the boil, which that's the easiest one, which is it's like the hot liquor tank coil in there uh, in hot water. See if it gets up the boil. It did take quite a while to get up the boil, but yeah, the problem is the auto tune or the, the tune that's built into it is it doesn't, it really doesn't want to overshoot at all. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's graceful. Like, <laughs> it's entire job is like never to overshoot. <laughs> and so the problem though is it gets within a couple degrees and then it starts cycling. I'm like, no, you should be like still hammering that element, right? To it, get it, up there yeah, faster. no, it should be at a hundred percent until it's close. Yeah, and it's not close enough. I, so, yeah, the first time I did an auto tune, I noticed a, a significant difference in how fast it was. Okay, so I'll do that tonight. Yeah. All right, so Stephen, I've been sending you all these pictures of my brewery. Yeah. What's what's going on? <laughs> so actually, um, we, we, we should we should post some of your pictures of your uh, your brew. Uh, box because uh, it, it's it's pretty damn cool. <laughs> Thank uh, you. So uh, it's not you, perfect, but it it's good enough. It's good, yeah, good enough. Um, so I know I have so many things going on and and everything, but but Parker get really ramping up all this brewery stuff has got me super super jelly. So uh, so I I kicked off a real quick. I call it the jelly project. Uh, so I'm, I'm super jealous about the brewery because I'm like, I want to brew too. So I ended up uh, just gutting my system and I'm doing a new one real quick. Because uh, I want to brew, I want to brew with Parker too. In fact, my goal was to brew this coming weekend, but that's just not going to be the case. I'm going to try, but I don't know if that's going to happen either. Cause I, I pushed yeah. it back one week. That's, I, that's a thing I didn't get to. 
is so let's, let's finish up this and yeah. then uh yeah 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 go I'll, for it i'll talk about that oh okay cool yeah, yeah. well okay so uh all, all said and done but to uh, boil it all down i'm uh i'm i'm getting my my rig back up and going <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 biggest honestly my my, my system was is functional it's just um what, uh, I was always brewing right next to my stove in my kitchen uh and and I don't have that capability anymore and one of the the things about it is uh, just from a functional standpoint uh I needed the ability to control two things at once two pots at once and my rig was always only capable of one because I only had one P, uh, PID controller. I actually have two pots with two elements. It's just at any one point in time, I could only do one. Well, so I got a second PID controller, and I ended up getting all the fancy switches and illuminating, you know, uh, things. Felt like mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so like, I, I've, I've, I've designed this whole system, and, um, and, and so I'm building that now. And, and the cool thing is, so, like, I feel, I feel a little bit, uh, it's unfair in my opinion, or I feel, I, I guess I should say I'm, I'm really blessed because I have the, I have the ability to have, I have two CNCs at my disposal, one that does aluminum really well, and then my CNC at home that does wood. I'm not going to say really, say it really well. I not anything well right now. No, it, it, but it, but it does, it does, well. I'm hitting, I'm hitting <laughs> 10,000th accuracy, and that for, for what I'm, for making a little box, that's more than enough. So I am, I'm, I am incorporating a little bit of wood into this, uh, this box just because I want it to, I'm going to stain it like I stained my brew cart because my brew cart's all made of wood because I want it mm -hmm. to match. Normally, I'd, I would just buy a box like Parker did. But in, in this case, I'm like, I have this aluminum CNC that I can use at work so I can cut everything and I, I can engrave on it and stuff. So all the text is going to be engraved on it. Uh, so I've got, I've got it like 99% of the way there. My hope is to finish it tonight and cut it tomorrow morning. Uh, all the, uh, I'm sorry, not tomorrow, but tomorrow evening uh, i cut all the uh, all the pieces for that so i have actually right next to me right now i have a box just filled with like contactors and breakers and illuminating switches <laughs> and, and all the stuff and i'm just like ah i'm so excited because i was going to brew this weekend but this whole weekend is is now going to be ded dedicated to just wiring a box which now is don't do what i did fun. what's that is leave those contactors and switches and and relays in the box for two years Oh no 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 no! Like th this is I I'm I'm devoted to this pretty heavily right now. So, uh, so the, actually one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, just because I mean, the actual like inner workings of my box is nothing particularly special. It's literally just switches that flip contactors on or off. That just I mean that's what mine things, does. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the biggest thing is like I one thing you and I haven't talked about is how did you go about designing the box and and like figuring out where things go did you do it in like a like just put it in the box and be like that's where it goes and then drill so it and I did a circuit diagram yeah long time ago um of like and it looked like an appliance diagram right oh so of like like this is a contactor just a big rectangle right <laughs> And, and and I did all the wiring that way. So I drew that all up. And then basically based off that, I, I redrew it, but with everything next to each other of like, okay, this one needs to be connected to this guy, so they should be right next to each other. And then I put it in the box. There you go. That was it. That's all I did. Um, <laughs> easy, and then so I, did, I did, no, I ran out of room. Oh, no. Um, and so if you actually open up the box... There's a whole bank of breakers 
on the on the front door on the inside <laughs> you know, for all the motors. Now I went way overkill with breakers. Everything has a breaker. Almost everything's got a breaker. I th- actually, yeah, everything's got a breaker on it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's probably pretty overkill, but um, I really wanted to make sure, like, if a wire is, was only spec to carry a certain amount of current, so like a ten gauge, I like I have my pumps hooked up with ten gauge wire, which is way overkill. Way, um, yeah. I could probably done it with sixteen; it'd been fine. But um, I'm like, okay. And the pump is only going to pull half an amp. We're going to put a one amp breaker on that, so that if that circuit ever bat anything bad happened, it would trip before anything really bad happened, which is melted wires, right? Yeah. Um, so that's how I did it. It's probably way overkill because I bet you if you shorted that ten gauge wire out, the main breaker would probably flip immediately because sure. fifty amps could totally flow through that ten gauge before it caught fire, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for a short period of time. The breaker should break before that does. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to have more redundancy in it, especially since you have um, 240 volt and you have 50 amps and you have, um, you know, drunk people operating it. That's what people <laughs> don't remember. Drunk people will be operating this thing. Um, or inebriated, I should say. Yeah, not, not, not drunk. Not drunk. Inebriated, though. Um, and so I wanted as much redundancy as possible, which is also why it has its built-in GFI, all that good stuff. So you don't have to remember that you have to have a GFI hooked up or whatever. Everything's built in. Um. That's that's one thing. Mine does not currently have a GFCI, uh, I, but I have plans to install that. It's just those are so damn expensive. Didn't I know? give you one? No, we've 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 exited this conversation like five or six times outside the podcast. Like you did give me one, but I left it at your house and it's still there. Oh, well, I'll just mail you it. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, cool. Now it only works works on two forty though. That's fine. I mean, if you have a one twenty leg, it might not work. No, well, okay. So my my system is a little goofy, admittedly. So I my whole system runs on two forty, but I just want the the system to run on pure 240 i don't want to split the legs for any reason so That's what mine is but like, but yeah. but check this out i've <laughs> this is so stupid but i'm totally fine with it i'm actually running a separate 120 line into it so i plug into my 240 outlet but i also have a one uh so you have a you have a four wire uh 240 plug then right i have a, but i'm also including a separate uh, 120 leg and and so the whole thing is what what I'm doing with that is I have an auxiliary switch so basically I I can plug this if I want I can plug my box into a 120 outlet also and all it does is it switches with a contactor two outlets that are 120 such that if I have something that I want to be able to control at the box I can just plug into my box and then just control it and oh, that's okay. entirely separate and the whole reason why I want to do that is because I wanted my GFCI when I actually install it in there, I want it to only service 240 ever. I don't want it to be offset and and have a separate leg. So the, the whole point was like, basically I want to be able to plug my pump into my control box and just control it with the control box, but only do 120 by itself with the yep, pump. Yep, yep. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's goofy because my box, I have to plug it into two separate outlets but I, re- ah, I really gotcha. don't care, you know? Like I'll send you this uh, this RTD then. 
That uh, yeah, that's uh, that was a GFCI for a jacuzzi, right? No, I tried that. Uh, the problem with those is those want a 120 leg. Oh, they want you. They want they need to be hooked up with a four wire style 240. So people who do not know what how uh, residential wiring in the United States work is you have because um, most of our plant our things work on 120 volts, but to get 120 volt is you have you basically have four wires that come from the pole. You have ground, then you have a uh, you have a uh, hot, hot, and neutral. And when you put the two hots together, you get two forty volts. Um, but if you go hot to new to the uh, neutral, you get one twenty. And so that's a four that's a four wire plug. Um, and uh, that's why I thought you were explaining. Well, I do. I do have plug. a four wire. I'm I'm doing a four wire and a separate, entirely oh. separate one twenty. Yeah. So mine's set up three wire. Yeah. Like a welder. It's actually I plug it into where my welder plugs in. Yeah. Uh, which is a it's two forty only. So it has from basically from the breaker box it hot, has hot, two hot 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 and then ground. Oh, just um, ground. Got it. Got it. Yeah, just ground. And so the um, the problem with the jacuzzi ones is they want the one twenty leg. And they will not operate at all without the 120 leg, which is the the neutral leg. Um, and so I had I actually went um, overseas. Now, I didn't go overseas, but I started searching overseas, and start, and I got a DIN rail mounted uh, GF GFCI. They call them something else, like a residual. I think it's RCD, residual current device, which is what a GFCI is. Mm-hmm. And it's actually an industrial rated one, which actually it trips at a lower current as well. Hmm. So it's like, I think the ones in states, they trip at uh, the ones that go on your wall. They're like 10 milliamps. This is six milliamps. So it's almost half. So it's safer in quotes. Um, yeah. But it only will work with two, with two hot legs here in the states. Okay. Yeah. So you can't, you can't pass uh, the neutral through it. And you can't route around it because if you try to put any current on that neutral leg, that R- uh, RCD uh, will trip right away. Well, that's the point. That's the point. It's like, oh, there's an imbalance here. Uh, let's trip. <laughs> right. Well, and that's exactly why I wanted to have my pumps on a fully separate line. Yeah. Because I want, I want my elements and my PIDs and those things to just purely be on classic 240, you know? That was, that was interesting when I ordered my pumps because um, I ordered Chugger Brewery pumps and the I ordered two 40-volt ones. Mm. And the guy was like, are you sure you want two 40-volts? Because most people, you know, buy 120s. Right. I was probably the only person that bought two 40s that year from him. <laughs> but um, Just throwing this together. Um, so so th- th- one, one of the reasons why I was kind of asking you about how you kind of like envisioned your boxes. I've been spending the last like two or three days figuring out the, the way my box goes. The, the biggest difference is I'm building my box from scratch. Uh, so I get control over everything and I find it kind of, I don't know, convenient and nice when, uh, when the box is already decided for you, you pick the size and you're done. Right. But with mine, it's like, uh, well, I mean, anything goes. So, so basically I, I used Inkscape and CorelDRAW and I just, drew outlines of like i know my contactor is x by y size and i've just made a whole bunch of like random parts and i and sort of in inside each one of those boxes just just wrote text on like oh this is three inches high this is two and a half inches high and then 
graphically just kind of like slapped everything together and threw it around and basically said like I can put my contactors here I can put my PID here I can put you know switches and things here uh, until I got something that I liked mm-hmm. just like it's it's super nice I don't know I like the playground uh, idea of like I've got a box I know my din rails can only go here so I'm just like that's it I don't have to be creative anymore it's just like <laughs> everything just falls into place but but with this project it was just like I mean I'm I can cut it to be whatever I want it to be. So you're going to spend two years trying to figure out what shape your box is going to be. in. You know what? I, I just made it really simple. I was like, it's two feet wide. It's one feet high. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then it's about six inches deep. Like I just made it like I, I ended up because, because if you have too much control or too much ability to do anything, then like it'll never happen. So I just said like, this is what it has to be. I would now play within this playground that I set for myself. And it, and as soon as I did that, like everything fell into place. Yeah, yeah. So, so much easier. So yeah, the idea is like, I'm just drawing it in Inkscape such that I can do the graphical aspect of it and make sure that it looks ha- halfway nice. And then I can just export DXFs into uh, Fusion 360 and all the holes and all the graphics and everything are already taken care of. Then I can just basically press go on the on the cnc so yeah the hope is that i can cut it tomorrow i don't know i'm i'm crossing my fingers on that um but that's only cutting the aluminum pieces i still have to cut all the wood pieces so that's probably you know cutting all the aluminum is the easy part (laughs) getting my cnc at home (laughs) to do what i want it to do is is harder that's the Uh, hard part but but luckily like i mean all i'm really asking it to do is cut rectangles the, the 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 border of the of the the box like the depth part yeah, is yeah. is wood all the all the plates that go everywhere is um is all aluminum and 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 i decided to do the you know when you look inside of an industrial box a lot of times they have a secondary raised plate off the back yeah a back plate a back plate Brownie i decided plate. to go with that so that i didn't have to just like put tons of component holes in the back plate of the uh, of the box i don't know it looks cleaner it's just there's no real nice yeah i mean whatever it works (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i'm I'm hoping to uh my my this coming weekend my project is to wire that all up and and give it a go so it takes a lot longer than you expect to wire those boxes up though yeah yeah Uh, the the nice thing is two years well, I, I hope I can get it done this weekend. Mine is mine is significantly I shouldn't say significantly. Mine is mine is I, I feel easier than yours, in terms of like I I don't think I have as many uh, bells and whistles. Stuff. My, yeah. Mine has four switches. It has a power switch. It has an auxiliary switch such that I can turn on that one twenty, and then it has two other switches that turn on the two other elements, mm-hmm. and then um, of course there's lights involved in all of those switches. Uh, and things you know the the biggest thing that i really was shooting for on this is um i didn't want to have tons and tons of terminal blocks like i uh, wiring terminal blocks is super annoying so you know uh basically uh like the contactors i have have quick disconnects that can actually handle the current stuff so i i designed most of my system off of how can i get power and neutral and ground around such that I don't have to put a bunch of terminal blocks in there. In fact, the only place I think I need terminal blocks is for my ground connection. I've got everything worked out such that I don't have to put extra DIN rails and terminal blocks in there. Yeah, I did. I did most of mine. I got the DIN rails. Uh, uh, DIN rails. Um, I got the um, terminal blocks and DIN rails 
for the big stuff. So like when I need a jumper, the six gauge wire around, I'm like, yes, I need to have a terminal block to do that. Right. Um, but like for the low amperage stuff that's on like the one amp breaker, which basically there's a one amp breaker that controls the, that basically allows power to the lights and to the PIDs and all that stuff. And that actually, um, that just jumpers around. So that it goes out, and then when it hits the terminal, it just may, has a new wire that comes out and goes somewhere else. Um, I really, I actually kind of didn't want to do that, but that ended up being actually the best way to do it for me. So, what are going to do? Yeah, it all works. It all works. Um, so what's next on the brewery project is, first, I got to take inventory of my brewery equipment. Mm. Uh, I'm going to do that tonight. I haven't even, like, looked at It's in the cabinet down here. I don't remember what cabinet it's in. So first first order is like where is it right? Um, take inventory, make sure I have everything I should, but I want to make sure nothing got broken in the move from years ago, stuff like that. Um, and then make a list of spare parts I need for the brewery. So like, if this part failed, uh, can I replace it and salvage the brew day? <laughs> so like, solid state relay, having a spare contactor, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think I'm going to get spare elements because you'd have to drain everything to get the element out anyway. So it's like, you know, that's game over. That's game over. You're, you're done. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to get a spare element, but definitely spare electrical parts where like I could unplug it and change it out in like five minutes and get back, like get a spare PID just in case the PID blows up. Stuff like that. Maybe some spare switches. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I want to build a storage uh, storage for the brewery equipment on the cart. Because right now it's like all spread out in boxes and stuff. I'm like, no, let's put a, like, because that bottom area is just open. So I want to put a some wood down there. Um, don't know what kind of wood yet because I'm out of that countertop I used. So I got to find some new material to put down there. Probably just um, get some, like, one by fours or something like that and then screw it down onto that uh, steel and um, that way I can put all the storage down there, like all the, the equipment, um, spoons and, and um, the racking uh, cane, that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, got to clean and fire up the fermentation chamber because that thing has the great thing is I've had it plugged in. So it, it's not I actually opened it up last night. It's not nasty in there, but I still got to you know open it up, bleach it, clean it up, get the. Um, uh, controller fired back up for it. Um, make sure that all works. Then I got to clean the brewery because I just ran water through it. And so how I'm going to clean this brewery because everything's hard lined. So you can't scrub the inside the lines because everything's connected to each other. Um, and so I was actually talking to my brother who actually works with a lot of local breweries up in Colorado and in Houston when he lived here is basically you clean it just like how an industrial professional brewery system gets cleaned is you use a 2% lye formula. So you run that through and that kills that basically eats everything that's organic and softens it all up, run that through. And then you run an acid cleaner through it. Um, and that gets every, that will get everything else out and it will help brighten up the stainless. And then you just run water to flush it. And then when you're all done, then, then, Vacuum out the, the water, right? 
Um, and so I gotta get the I gotta get the the acid. Um, Star Sand makes it. Um, Star Sand number five is what it's called. Um, so Star Sand's a, a company that builds cleaners for for breweries. So, but the thing about that stuff is, you used to be able to buy it individually from like online stores. They stopped selling it, so you basically have to go to a brewery that buys it and then get some from them. <laughs> Pretty please. Yes, but the good thing is, I know uh, a couple of the smaller breweries here, so yeah. and my brother does too. So I have it in on that. <laughs> he might be able to sneak some. Yeah, and um, oh, then get ingredients and then brew. So just that simple. Wh- wh- when do you think is brew day? Like you, I want to do it this weekend. I don't think that's going to happen because I definitely want the spare parts before I brew. Mm. Um, and uh, cleaning the brewery, getting the acid is going to take a. I'll probably go get that this weekend. Um, so hopefully next uh, next weekend. Let's let's try to plan brewing together. Because uh, uh, I was gonna try social to do distance this brewing. Social distance, that's right. Yeah, long distance brewing. It's gonna be the July fourth. No, uh, June twenty seventh weekend. June. Let me. Let me. Yeah. June. Let me look at my calendar real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's try to do that, and and you know it. I'm gonna try to do two five gallon batches. So that's a full day. I was gonna do a ten because my system's pretty much really set up for ten gallons. Yeah. So I was going to take one of my recipes and basically just double it. I'm going to do the calculations, but basically double it. And um, especially since, like, I've been cutting way back on I've been losing weight. Um, it's been very successful, but it's like, OK, I'm going to start brewing beer. So I'm going to have all this beer on tap now, which is going to decimate my, my diet. So I'm like, OK, I love brewing and I can't drink all this beer because it just goes over my calorie limit. So I'm like, OK, basically, I have to have other people drink it so i'm going to be brewing it for our tailgates and stuff for football and so i'm like okay the best way to do that is to have 10 gallon batches because i always would only bring one five gallon keg and it would be gone in like 30 minutes yeah it just ripped so i'm like okay i gotta have two yeah at least that works yeah i think i want to go a little bit more for some uh, variety yeah well eventually i want to fill up my fermentator i'm not from my kegerator because i got six taps on it but 10 gallon batches seems to be how I kind of set up this system. Um, there's not really any, uh, like I, I was trying it out with five gallons and five gallons kind of will work in this. Cause you basically need six gallons at the end. Right. Mm. Um, it kind of will work, but I don't know. It's right I got to try edge. it out. Yeah. It's around the edge of the system working 10 gallon ma- is super easy. Cause I kind of, I guess I, I was just eyeballing where fittings would go. And I'm like, yeah, this looks right. Drill a hole. <laughs> <laughs> That's how this whole brewery kind of came together. Like, I planned out, like, the process and the electrical. But, like, when I actually built it, I'm like, yeah, that looks about right. I had no idea. Yeah, sure. That's why in the future there's those changes I want to make. Right. Already. Already. But, again, keep it this way. I don't want any scope creep feature creep in this brewery i want to actually brew beer yeah and see if it works okay saturday the 27th we're we're both going to try to knock out some some brews yes cool yeah i should have everything done by then and for ready for brewing man it's been a journey (laughs) (laughs) so i have one more project that i completed yeah and uh now this is that um wine chiller 
the uh, uh, the the hacky wine chiller. Yeah, the Whisper Cool twenty eight hundred that didn't work. Which is so my parents had a, uh, bought a wine chiller on on um, Cra- Craigslist. Flag number one: never buy anything that requires refrigeration on Craigslist unless you can test it. Right. So we couldn't test it. Picked it up. Uh, it sat disassembled for eight months. Finally put it together. Didn't cool down the wine at all. So we're like, well, crap. Um, so I started looking online. A Whisper Cool 2800 replacement unit is like three grand to do so. So I'm like, that's expen- that seems expensive for what basically looks like a fancy window unit. Window AC unit. So I went on Amazon, bought a $100 uh, window unit, hacked it up and put it back in the original Whisper Cool box. And I, I put a label so it says Parker Cool 2800 on it. <laughs> um, and it works great, actually. We, we installed it, and it got the wine down to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. About, what, 15 and a half Celsius. And um, cycles works great. Now, there are some gotchas that if anyone else replicates this in the future. So those, those window units are awesome because they're inexpensive. And you, they can, you, you can easily hack them into other things. Mm-hmm. I've seen people turn, make them into like homebrew glycol units. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, they, these are all mechanical-based um, controls. There's no electrical controls in it. So it's got a, a basically a, a little probe, that little gas probe basically, and it measures the temperature differential between it and the controller, and it decides if it needs to turn the compressor on or off, basically to keep it from freezing over. And my, my first thing is I was going to put I put an electrical controller on it so I can set it to 55 Fahrenheit and it would just turn on till then and, and turn off. The problem with that is the electrical controller doesn't know when it freezes up. Yeah, because I took the I took the the the, the gas line basically and I put it on the hot side of the AC. So in the mechanical brain, it's, it's thinking it, it's good, right? It's thinking like, man, crank that compressor full blast. <laughs> And that actually worked great. It it got really cold really fast. It just it would freeze the coil up. Mm. And so then I put it back on where it's supposed to go, which is on the evaporator, and it wouldn't get cold enough because it would get down to like sixty uh, Fahrenheit, right above where it needed to be. And so then I took it and then I bent it up just a little bit <laughs> away from the coil. Just fine tuned it. I fine tuned the mechanical side by doing that. That worked great. Um, but it was, it took some fiddling. So it would be nice, it, um, basically to have two, a, a controller, electrical controller that had two probes. So you can have one on the evaporator and then one where your set point is reading from. And then so basically, okay, run the compressor until that you sense that it's freezing up. Right. Um, or a way to be able to kind of fine-tune the mechanical side I, I i wish i opened up that mechanical controller to see if there was basically a set screw that you can adjust i know a lot of them do have those um that would be probably the best way to do it but it's assembled and the fact that you have to lift this unit and like set it on the back in the in the unit and like hold it there as you're like screwing it uh, assembling the unit together it's never coming back out <laughs> so <laughs> Um, but yeah, it works great. Um, definitely a really good way to do a project like that. Cause it was only a hundred dollars. I was about year. to say it's cheap. It was very inexpensive. And I, I used gaff tape to like hide 
So like when you open up, it actually looks completely fine. It doesn't look like someone took a took a sawzall to the the metal chassis. <laughs> I just covered everything. So with you put a little bit of extra effort into it just to yeah, it does look make nice. sure there's no apprentice marks. Yeah, yeah. I covered it with ga- I covered the apprentice marks with gaff tape. <laughs> Better than Sharpie though. I don't know. Shar- Sharpie Sharpie can save your butt. For sure. Yeah, Sharpie has saved my Although I, I, I saw a, um, I saw something come in the other day. Uh, it was, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like a, uh, a unit from a from another company, and um, I noticed that somebody had marked a blemish with a Sharpie, and it was like, really, <laughs> really, that was the solution. If it came from a f- factory, I would expect at least a paint pen. I mean, it was it was a, a sharpie. Small, it was a small blemish, and a sharpie could do it. I, I I get the I get the mindset, but like that shouldn't pass QC, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Someone was just being cute. Sure, cute. <laughs> so that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Get cute this weekend, or something. Take it easy.